I'm Gerhard Lazu, and you're listening to ShipIt.show, a podcast about ops, infrastructure, and the cloud-native ecosystem. Maybe it's the Californian sun, or perhaps it's the time spent at Disney Studios, the home of the best stories. One thing is for sure, Taylor Dolezal is one of the happiest cloud-native people that I know. As a former lead SRE for Disney Studios, Taylor has significant hands-on experience running cloud-native technologies in a large company. After a few years as a HashiCorp developer advocate, Taylor is now head of end-user ecosystem for the CNCF. In his current role, he's helping enable cloud-native success for end-users like Boeing, Mercedes-Benz, and many others. Big thanks to our partners Fastly and Fly. This MP3 is served with minimal latency from the Fastly Edge location, which is closest to you. Our app database run on fly.io because it keeps things simple. This episode is brought to you by Sourcegraph. Sourcegraph is universal code search to let you move fast, even in big code bases. Here's CTO and co-founder Byung Lu explaining how Sourcegraph helps you to get into that ideal state of flow in coding. The ideal state of software development is really being in that state of flow. It's that state where all the relevant context and information that you need to build whatever feature or bug that you're focused on uh, building or fixing at the moment, that's all readily available. Now the question is, how do you get into that state where you know you don't know anything about the code necessarily that you're going to modify? That's where Sourcegraph comes in. And so what you do with Sourcegraph is you you jump into Sourcegraph. It provides a single uh, portal into that universe of code. You search for the string literal, the pattern, whatever it is you're looking for. You dive right into the, the specific part of code that you want to understand. And then you have all these code navigation capabilities, jump to definition, find references that work across repository boundaries that work without having to clone the code to your local machine and set up and mess around with editor config and, and all that. Everything is just designed to be seamless and to aid in that task of you know code spelunking or, or source diving. And once you've acquired that understanding, then you can hop back in your editor, dive right back into that flow state of, hey, all the information I need is readily accessible. Let me just focus on writing the code that implements the feature or fixes the bug that I'm working on. All right, learn more at sourcegraph.com and also check out their bi-monthly virtual series called DevTool Time, covering all things DevTools at sourcegraph.com slash devtooltime. We are going to ship in three, two, one. I remember this as if it was yesterday. I was there front row, actually second row, KubeCon EU 2022. And all of a sudden this very happy person came bouncing on the stage. His name was Taylor. He did exactly the same thing for this podcast. <laughs> Welcome Taylor to Ship It. <laughs> hey, howdy everybody. Happy to be here. Thank you for having me. What's the secret to your happiness? You have to tell me. So, I'd, honestly, I'd say it's a variety of things, but mostly the fact of being in Los Angeles, the sunshine, the tea, and having two really, really happy uh, pups and uh, a partner with me. <laughs> yeah. That's just amazing. Like, I've seen happy people, and then there's you. I mean, you're like like a whole other level of happy. And it's like constant, you know, like, how do you sustain that? Like, 
Because obviously things don't go your way all the time. So how do you push through that? You speak to a lot of people, you see a lot of things. It's easy. I think that it's really good to divide up those feelings with like, a, you know, I preface this by saying you haven't seen my GitHub notifications. So there's <laughs> so yeah, that's that's where I work everything out. And then uh, is in GitHub and then I'm able to be uh, happy offline. But uh, in, in, in all seriousness, I think that it's there's just been a lot that I've seen throughout my life. I've seen really great interactions, really not so great interactions. And the thing that has really stood out to me has been this concept of uh, really understanding people, being empathetic, getting to see their point of views. And I'm just really curious about figuring out what other people are thinking at any given moment. You know, if, if there's a, a disagreement or something that I'm not able to understand from somebody else, I really like being able to sit down with them or speak with them and say like, hey, could you, I, I really do want to understand your perspective. And once you have that, you're better able to empathize with folks and then kind of see what their core motivations are in a lot of, you know, more humorously in other other cases, you know, I've, I've talked to some people, they're like, you know what, I just I just haven't had lunch or I haven't had a glass of water in like three hours. And so it's it's even noticing these little things that you can just, you know, sometimes the day is really rough. And so you might forget to do something that you normally do do. And so that's uh, and it's really good to, to keep account of that and uh, and focus on what's important and make sure that you're you know feeding yourself, nourishing yourself and doing what uh, what's required for you. If you don't have any gas in your tank. It's going to be hard to help others out on that front. Yeah. I'm seeing like so many things here coming together. The first one, like if I had to do a summary, looking after yourself, knowing what is important to you, making sure, you know, you take care of yourself first and then paying attention to those around you, paying attention to the little things. There's like so many giveaways of what people need, of what people are actually arguing about. And I think experience plays a part of that too. Now, I'm wondering, I know that in 2016, uh, you were working for Disney Studios. And Disney is, I think, one of the happiest places <laughs> on the, in the world. Now, were you the same before Disney? I mean, what, did something happen there just like to make you realize just how, I don't know, serious we take ourselves? Because I think that's like one of the key takeaways from Disney. We just take ourselves too seriously most of the time. It was really interesting because I, so I was living in Cleveland, Ohio before going to Disney and, and living in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. I, I, I really do love it here. The cost of living is definitely is definitely up. Mm -hmm. The sunshine tax is real, but I think that it's just a fun place to be. Uh, Cleveland, Ohio, I think is actually ranked second for most cloudy days. And so a lot of people are affected by seasonal affective disorder or SAD as it's termed, uh, <laughs> which is a very apt acronym. And so working in a hospital, I, I got to see open heart surgeries. I got to see, you know, again, you know, just the complete ends of the emotional spectrum, you know, really happy people, really not so happy people and going through uh, wild situations. Disney really enforced, uh, reinforced that happiness. And so I think that kind of getting to see everything, you know, within that contrast was really helpful for me, too. So getting to at Disney, I really learned the art of how to tell a story and what's important to people, mm. how you can really, you know, f like feel that full catharsis of something that's going on. And, you know, let's be real. It was fun to be able to talk to friends back home and, uh, you know, for them to reach out and say, like, hey, could you do a call this weekend? I'm like, no, help and support the Star Wars launch. You know, bummer. Sorry, can't uh, can't chat, but maybe <laughs> next week. So, <laughs> so wow, that was that's a good excuse. That's a good like, oh, no, no, please, please, please. 
Uh, yeah, yeah, of course. Like <laughs> you do that. That's very important. It's like may the force be with you. Yeah, we'll talk, to, <laughs> we'll talk later <laughs> with all of you, everyone listening. So, tell us a bit more. What was it like to work for Disney, and how how many years were you there? And obviously, what do you do? Many more questions, but let's start with those. Yeah, Disney was. Uh, it was a lot of fun to interview. So. What was what was really interesting it was at the time my partner was saying that so she's an artist she works within uh, it still really good backgrounds within math and science but just really is able to articulate herself well within the artistic capacity so designing logos and uh, branding and so and I'm more the you know I, I like computer science and numbers and so we're really good opposites do attract it's it's a really great match on that front. Um, we have a lot of fun. We have a bunch of hue lights in our house too. So that's like the, the perfect melding of our abilities. So that's, uh, mm. that's, that's always a fun time. Uh, what she had said was that, you know, living in Cleveland, there just aren't these opportunities for either of us, unfortunately, at the time. You know, it was either open source just wasn't the biggest there. It was difficult to find a role in that. And for her, within the artistic capacity, that just really didn't exist. That was definitely more San Francisco, Los Angeles, the West Coast. That's where we've always had our minds on. So we got into a conversation and she said, you know what, we're doing it. And then in, within the next nine months, we're going to be in, uh, you know, on the West Coast. I was like, I don't think so. That's that's wild. Six months later, we were in Los Angeles. So, wow. so uh, someone knows how to plan and organize and to push through. <laughs> we, we moved really fast, literally and figuratively. And so it was fun to have that change of pace. It was really scary, though, because, you know, all of our families and and just like this life that we had known. Uh, I've, I've moved around a lot. My, my partner was uh, mostly within the same space for, for many years, but uh, I'd moved a lot in my childhood. And so a little bit more used to picking up, moving, changing, and uh, really just kind of looking for a place to call home. And I'm happy that Los Angeles has been that. But um, the interview process was interesting. I did get to interview with multiple different companies, some in San Francisco, some in Los Angeles. And just, again, that sunshine was just such a great motivator. So uh, it was it was a bit intimidating to see all these different companies and kind of break out of that comfort zone when it comes to what you're doing for your, your day-to-day. And so Disney was like, oh my gosh, you know, the imposter syndrome ramped up and uh, I studied really hard for the, the interviews and just like to prep myself, psych myself up and get ready. Uh, I remember going through some big O notation questions uh, in the uh, hotel, like just hours before uh, the, those interviews and the panel. Um, there was one question that they almost stumped me on uh, with per- uh, pertaining to content delivery networks and like um, graphics and whatnot, because that is absolutely uh, very big for Disney, as, as we've seen, too, with like Disney Plus and whatnot. Uh, granted, that was years before, but that was a, it was a really, really fun interview process. I felt really good coming out of that interview, too, and I was just ultimately very psyched uh, to get that offer letter from them. So it was fun kind of leading up to that. And then starting, it was, uh, again, same intimidation, but I kept leading with the mindset of like, this is fine. I'm going to figure this out. You know, this is a learning opportunity there. In life, you can see a mistake as something that has happened and, and kind of dig into that and just have it circle around your head. Or you have this opportunity to take that and say, you know, no, this is a learning opportunity. I can still pivot and move forward. A lot of people think that success is just that, right? It's just success, but it's not true. It's There's failure laid into that. There are mistakes laid into that. And that's truly progress is being able to, to try new things and 
break through comfort zones and, and experience that newness. That's where you're going to learn the most is in those uncomfortable moments, those conversations, those opportunities. So oh, yes. um, that was very much the case, especially moving away from family and, and all that we had known and then getting out to Los Angeles and starting something new. As a Disney employee, uh, too, you get that uh, badge that you're able to get into Disneyland as an employee. Uh, granted, not every single day. There are some blockout <laughs> dates, but that, that helped, too. That helped, too, kind of really instill the culture. I can imagine <laughs> you, yeah. Going on the roller coaster when, like, work wasn't exciting enough. I mean, I'm sure it was every single day. Okay, I need to go on this roller coaster, just like pump up my adrenaline so that everything <laughs> is so easy in comparison. So what was your role at Disney? Uh, my role at Disney was senior systems uh, engineer. And so mm. that, that later became systems reliability engineer, kind of like similar in nature to uh, site reliability engineering. But uh, I started there working within the theatrical uh, distribution groups. So those are the teams that were managing the unlock codes for the movies themselves. So they didn't really handle uh, shipping and, and distribution like, you know, like a package or, or a hard drive delivered to a theater. But the way that it works is really interesting. It's that the typically there are hard drives. There's either like satellite uplinks. There are hard drives. It's not typical that there's film so much anymore. The movies get recorded on film, but in most cases, like 99%, it's a digital format. And the way that theaters work is such that they uh, kind of opt into a subscription type of program. So there are unlock codes that are shipped from the studio or the distributor to the movie theater so they can unlock. And it's typically on a weekly basis. And so you, you, you can have this hard drive, but it will re-encrypt itself and lock itself so that you can't go and, you know, take that home and go watch that movie uh, without having that access code. So, you know, if, you, if, if you're lucky enough to have that private yacht and that subscription, you know, that's, that's a really great, <laughs> that's a really great uh, outcome for you. But that was really interesting. We also had like taxonomies of all the theaters within the world, if they had like 4D time warps or smell-o-vision or IMAX, all these different types of categories. And so mm -hmm. first two are fictional, I'm, or are they? Um, <laughs> and, and so that was, that was really fun to kind of see all the different pieces that came together to handle, you know, just getting the movies in the theater and, and prepping it for your viewing experience. So I worked with that group for about 18 months and then moved over to the operations team where we reconfigured to really focus on becoming an SRE team. And that's where I started leading from that capacity in interacting with more folks within Disney that, you know, eventually led to further career progression. But I liked that start uh, moving to Kubernetes as the standardization for how we managed our applications because it, there was so much of there were over 300 uh, different application types there. And that's not including different environments as well. If you want, you could multiply by four. So there's just lots of work to be done. The team at that point in time was like five people. And so we couldn't go to each and every application, you know, reasonably and say, okay, yeah, we can support you uh, and be told like, oh, we do things a little differently here. You know, different build scripts, different means of standardizing. So we said, nope, let's go to Kubernetes, let's containerize, let's go full in on this. And it was really successful across the board. We got to knowledge share across different teams and sections. So like theatrical with residuals, you know, the group paying out the actors and the performers along with um, 
talent management and hiring. So there were like different contexts and sections within Disney where we would set up Kubernetes clusters, but we'd get to share these best practices or see different ways in which people were using workflows so that we could actually, you know, like, oh, I never thought about that and get to uh, work with one another to, to really develop something that would be solid for a, a longer period of time. What was it like day to day? Like, did you use GitHub? Did you have um, your own GitHub enterprise? What was it like in like, which cloud were you on all the clouds? Disney is a huge place. And so asterisk is really like, that's the, it depends, you know, very general answer. But on my team specifically, it's, it was pretty split. I think that we really focused on using GitLab. So uh, both options were available to us. And Disney was very good at kind of locking things down. You know, they have to be with movie leaks and everything. When they store pre-release content in the cloud, they intentionally lock themselves out of it. So they have to call the cloud provider if something goes wrong. Uh, they rely fully on machine-to-machine -machine interactions with one another. So, And then even, it, it was really interesting too, because the culture at Disney was very much, the production culture at least, was very much focused on, you had seniority based on how close you were to pre-release data. Your title really didn't matter as much, which was the most interesting part. It was all about how close you were to the content, you know, and that was kind of like how the, the hierarchy developed, at least in the culture. So that makes sense, you know, especially if you, you know, uh, wind the clocks back, you know, 20, 30 years, that makes a little bit more sense, but that's definitely permeated even to, you know, up until the time I'm, I, I left. It might be different now, but that was very much the case then. And, um, and just really interesting thing. How close were you to the content? Uh, it's, uh, it's, if, if I told you, I'd have to, I'd, uh, you know, I wouldn't be able to tell you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I see, I see. <laughs> uh, no, it's, I, I got to, I, so I had uh, some colleagues that worked on the video encoding team. And so that's, I, I, didn't, I didn't directly work with it, but I'd work with the systems that would uh, interact with, with those systems as well. So that, or kind of help share. So this close. Basically. Exactly. Yeah. I could see it. I couldn't touch yeah. it, but I could see it. Uh, right. But uh, it, yeah, that was a lot of fun. It was interesting too, to see how, you know, all of the different movie groups uh, went about transcoding and, and kind of encrypting and dealing with those video files too. So, uh, so yeah, mostly still, you know, still very GitOpsy focused really was interesting to find out what workflows worked best within the Kubernetes capacity. I know that they, right as I was leaving, they were kind of working through some GitOps um, frameworks and, and ideologies. But yeah, I, I've, I haven't spoken with too many folks since, but I'm curious as to where their cloud native journey has brought them. Mm, yeah, that's a good, I'm curious too. I'm really curious too. I mean, if you get to speak to someone or, you know, if someone's listening and know someone at Disney, I'll be very curious to have that conversation just to See, what is it like? Because our listeners are increasingly wondering how do the big companies work? How do they run their systems? And uh, what is different there? Because startups, it's, I mean, we know so many stories from startups, but when it comes to the big companies like Disney, Microsoft, Google, I know that they're very different, but when it comes to Disney and multimedia and media in general, they're a really big name. Pixar, maybe that would have been like a better name to give in the same category. You mentioned that Disney is really good telling stories. And I, I agree. I think they're like one of the best. And they've been one of the best for a long, long time. Walt Disney, oh my goodness me, there are so many lessons there. So if you were to tell one story, a memorable story from Disney that is related to technology, what would that be? So one engagement I really enjoyed at Disney was uh, moving into that capacity, you know, running the operations team and transitioning that to focus more on site reliability engineering. 
you know, patching, immutable infrastructure, working with the platform team and adopting more of their services. And that was where it was most apparent to me because I got my manager came to me and said, you know, I'd really like it if you and, and one of your colleagues did a roadshow and kind of met with different people across different verticals, organizations and teams. Just really liked uh, I'd given a couple presentations before and so was asked like, OK, it, you seem to like this public speaking thing. So uh, could you <laughs> could you go over here and do that in this capacity? I'm like, of course. So got recruited for that. And I really had a lot of fun because there were different platform offerings to talk about, which uh, was really good to do and kind of reframe it from the business perspective. Right. So I, I understood it very technically, but I'm able to kind of speak to stakeholders. And, and I, I also understand that context as well, just with prior experience and things I've, I've done within my career. So that was one of the key moments where I realized the power of being able to fuse these perspectives together and then present that as a story and put a lot of puns in there, too. So like mm -hmm. as we talked about logging services, there were pictures of trees that had been. So, yes, uh, tons like you can you can you can you can only imagine what the puns looked like in the slide form. But <laughs> they, they were really good. Uh, shout out to my my buddy Steve Wilcox on uh, working with me on that front. But uh, we had we had our whole like spiel down our, our tight five performance performance down. So that was quite a bit of fun. But that was where I saw that really shine through was because we had some folks that were, you know, either just had a little bit more friction in working with the uh, systems engineering teams. Uh, you tip it, it was the same old silo that you would see with dev and ops, right? Is the developers wanting to move quickly on features, uh, the, the uh, systems teams wanting to work really, really fast on being compliant with things and uh, meeting, you know, TLS 2, now 3, 1.3, like, let's go, 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 go. And let's do best practices. And then the sometimes the app teams can't move that fast because they have other things from the stake. So all of that, you know, being able to, to have a sense of that and be able to talk to, okay, here's how we can implement these things and then help develop out those products, uh, create more documentation or more reasoning on why that's a good idea is it really came out of that. So that was the importance that I saw through storytelling across the different groups, as well as making those connections, right? Knowing that like, oh, this person works really well within this area or being able to connect people together and have them, you know, tell the story of their success to another or, you know, uh, or, or failure or misunderstanding within a certain area. Like I thought containers would do this. I thought containers would never reboot. Uh, it turns out they do and they get moved constantly. It's like, yeah, that's how they work. So kind of those, that was really good. And then just kind of really bringing the human side of technology to people. I think that it, it, it's very easy to get lost in that or like, I'm right, this is the best way. And that's not always the case. Uh, there is, it's not, you know, it's not uh, on or off. There is that in between. It's, it's very much a, it's, it's not a digital thing. It's, it is the technology being digital is actually very analog when it comes to culture and practices. This episode is brought to you by Honeycomb. Find your most perplexing application issues. Honeycomb is a fast analysis tool that reveals the truth about every aspect of your application in production. 
Find out how users experience your code in complex and unpredictable environments. Find patterns and outliers across billions of rows of data and definitively solve your problems. And we use Honeycomb here at Changelove. That's why we welcome the opportunity to add them as one of our infrastructure partners. In particular, we use Honeycomb to track down CDN issues recently, which we talked about at length on the Kaizen edition of the Ship It podcast. So check that out. Here's the thing. Teams who don't use Honeycomb are forced to find the needle in the haystack. They scroll through endless dashboards playing whack-a-mole. They deal with alert floods, trying to guess which one matters. And they go from tool to tool to tool playing sleuth, trying to figure out how all the puzzle pieces fit together. It's this context switching and tool sprawl that are slowly killing teams' effectiveness and ultimately hindering their business. With Honeycomb, you get a fast, unified, and clear understanding of the one thing driving your business, production. With Honeycomb, you guess less and you know more. Join the swarm and try Honeycomb free today at honeycomb.io slash changelog. Again, honeycomb.io slash changelog. this day i know that you went to hashicorp and did you change your role as you joined hashicorp or did it happen after you joined it honestly it started near the end of disney i remember so that was uh, at the time it was it, it, it was very stressful not just for me but for the world because that's when uh covid really really took root and took effect i think it was was probably two or three weeks after Disney decided, like, nope, everyone's working from home kind of time frame. So, like, beginning of April, uh, maybe mid-April. But I got, I remember getting an email from the HashiCorp recruiting team, and they said, hey, uh, you know, your profile's really interesting. No, they did it more eloquently. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's like, we've been meeting to talk with you about your car, sh- car insurance. But uh, no. Uh, <laughs> they, they, uh, they You tell good with- stories. I really need someone to tell good stories. I think I think that's how it went. We've heard the story. It had your name on it. I want to know more. We want to talk. Yeah, when you're not at Disneyland, uh, we would we would really like to talk. Oh yes, yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> <laughs> they they said uh, they sent out an email, and it was you know I, I've gotten uh, recruited. Everyone, uh, mostly everyone, has gotten recruiting emails. If you haven't yet, you will. I promise. From HashiCorp. Yeah. If, uh, do you have to be on LinkedIn? Is that it? Is LinkedIn how they get you? That's a secret. That's a secret. All right. So thank goodness I'm not on LinkedIn. Like 10 years, <laughs> I think I, I said like, nope, no more LinkedIn. Okay, good. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that was that was the main reason, like all those emails, so many emails. But anyway, sorry, please, <laughs> you were saying. <laughs> it's like unlinked. Yeah, I've got a new network for you to join. Unlinked, uh, that's it. Yes, please. Yes, please. <laughs> I'll join that one. <laughs> so distributed, no one can contact you. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Corp reached out and asked about uh, like, hey, would you like a, a developer advocate role? Uh, we looking at your previous experience. I think this might be something that you're interested in. And I, I remember sitting there for like, honestly, like two, three minutes and just kind of rolling that over my mind and the tumblers were all clicking and I was going, no, yeah, 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 yeah. This makes a lot of sense. Oh my goodness. Because at the tail end of my time at Disney, it was really focused on those interactions with various teams, leading the SRE team, driving strategic things. And so it was really this cross-functional job where I took a look at product, uh, you know, it was engineering, it was product, yeah, and, and just kind of like all these other concerns, you know, marketing was one aspect of that. So I really saw that at HashiCorp, you know, every organization's a little bit different, you know, when it comes to developer advocacy, where does it sit? Is it in marketing? Is it engineering? What's, what's the core driving this? 
So at HashiCorp, it was really nice. HashiCorp has an incredibly strong engineering discipline. So that's like, if, if it's a character builder, that's where the stats are maxed out is in the engineering department, 100%. So I was really excited about that because I wanted to strengthen some of those uh, like infrastructure skills, working with Terraform, I'd been using it forever. And then yeah, really build out that public speaking tenant, right? Because I loved doing that at Disney. It made a lot of sense for me to go into developer advocacy because I loved talking with people and seeing that spark in their eye when they get, they understand the concept or the topic, you know, like seeing them come in confused and leaving with like, ah, I get it now. That is like, truly, that's what makes me so happy to see and to be a part of that joy. And being able to do that with so many other folks that like, it, I was over the moon at the possibility for that. So it was a, a long interview process of over about six weeks, but was happy to finally get that offer and then to, to get started there because, you know, what's, what's better than helping people out, learning as you go, and then sharing all the things that you learn. Favorite moment with the HashiCorp? Do you remember it? I th yes. So when I got started, my first week was like just before HashiConf for them. So it was obviously a digital event. And so uh, most of the team wasn't able to kind of jump in and help out, but understandably so, right? They're getting, <laughs> they're getting ready for a conference. One of my colleagues was emceeing. And so I got a lot of time to read. So like immediately also a very strong uh, document written culture there. So being able to look at RFCs and see like, you know, some of the initial ones from 2014 that Mitchell and Armand had worked on. Incredible to get the experience to be able to read that and go deep and again, understand those motivations see what's going on, like what's in your head as you were designing this, developing this, you know, a document does so much. It's like a picture of the Grand Canyon or another natural wonder. It's like you, you, you get a sense of it. It's not the full thing. It's not like being there, but you kind of get to see those motivations, which is really cool. And then I remember hearing like, oh yeah, have you heard about the secret projects we're working on? I'm like, wait, what? Um, they're like, yeah, we're going to be releasing two new products coming up here in the next, uh, in the next couple months. One is Boundary, one is Waypoint. And the Waypoint one's focused on Kubernetes and kind of like that Heroku uh, PaaS workflow in the cloud. I'm like, ah, this is awesome. So getting that and then just make it, having it be incredibly accessible to go and, and work with that team and talk with them like, hey, I've contributed to Kubernetes. I, I, I really want to get involved in this and uh, would love to speak with y'all. So met really, really talented, really wonderful people on that team and just immediately got to work with them, pair that with Terraform, uh, do some really fun and cool demos. Again, you know, memes involved. They may or may not have involved Obi-Wan and hello there, you know, that <laughs> meme. But uh, it's updating images so that GIFs could actually be in motion. So really, really fun stuff. But uh, I think that was that was kind of the, the immediate joys as far as working on that team. The developer relations team is just uh, incredibly empathetic as well. So be, some of those people I just haven't had as profound uh, uh, work relationships with people before going to HashiCorp too, because these people, you know, being in the community space, they, they also have to understand the, the highs, the lows, the social nuances, um, uh, understand product, understand media training. You know, you can't just uh, uh, rattle things off. You have to it, it, think about things sometimes. What, what might make sense to you might not make sense to others and just all of those things as well. So in Developing out those skills, uh, I, I really liked working with those people and still keep in touch with them regularly. They're, they're all fantastic, both current people there and alumni, just absolutely wonderful to work with. And then after HashiCorp, you went into CNCF. How did that happen? Like, first of all, what prompted you? How was there a pull? Did you just, you know, come up with the idea? How did it happen? 
So I'm a big fan of Dungeons and Dragons, and I just roll this twenty sided dice to uh, to 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 make my decisions. No, uh, Microsoft, <laughs> CNCF, Google. Okay, let's see. Uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so he's like, try again later. What does that mean? Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so that that one's really interesting. So at HashiCorp, it was. When was it? So I was just coming off of going to AWS reInvent. I gave a talk about Terraform, the CDK for Terraform, and was like honestly feeling on top of the world, getting that opportunity to speak to so many folks. Uh, things were coming back in person and being able to speak with people directly. You know, granted, still with masks, but was uh, really good to have those kinds of interactions and like see a person in front of me and and oh, speak yeah. with them. Not just a head. There's yes. more to it. <laughs> yeah, it's like, head. you're not in 2D anymore. What's happening? Yeah. You're, you're not an iPad on wheels. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> the, it was, uh, I loved being able to, to see people. And coming off of that, uh, it was a little bit more of a quiet uh, period of time, too. HashiCorp had just IPO'd in the beginning. I think it was December 8th um, of that year, too. And then uh, Priyanka reached out to me about, I think it was like the 19th of uh, December. And so, you know, reaching out uh, and, and said, hey, uh, I, I have this potential opportunity for you. Would you be interested in talking? And, you know, getting to work with the CNCF before and, and knowing, knowing Priyanka from the Kubernetes space and other CNCF capacities, I was like, you don't, you don't say no to a meeting with Priyanka. Of course, I'm absolutely going to have this conversation. So we were able to meet up in January uh, over Zoom, not in person, and kind of talk through what the role needed, what the focus was. And she, the way in which she painted it was perfect. You know, it was still that it's my, my heart is always going to be within the community space. And so getting to, again, help people out, help educate. I'm in charge of the end user ecosystem. So getting to work directly with people using these CNCF projects, tools, workflows, people that aren't directly aligned with vendors and kind of pushing things from more of that feature perspective. Like, let's talk about usability. Let's talk about what what is really working for these companies, what is not, and getting that feedback back to the right people. So again, getting to employ those skills was something that Priyanka talked about being incredibly important. And then being able to work with these open source communities and the Kubernetes project and so many others within the CNCF landscape have been very close to my heart. I've just had the most experience within Kubernetes so far. But, uh, you know, uh, Wasm and Prometheus and all these other things that are upcoming and worth focusing on. I'm excited to jump into those, too. But really great to be back working with my friends within the open source space. And so I weighed that. I was really happy at HashiCorp. And it was it, to me, that's been one of the more difficult decisions I've had to make in my career was because you you have this, you know, like that's, you know, an IPO is good. That's a move in the right direction. You know, uh, others, the economy right now, question mark. But when it comes to everything like that, like that's on how you define progress. That's, you know, in, in most companies, that's a that's a good move forward. And so especially depending on what you want to do. And so I weighing that was really difficult and kind of seeing like, OK, I could go and do this for, uh, you know, X more years. I, I really like the space and getting to work with people or I can go and learn more skills when it comes to the open source space, um, but maybe less so, you know, when it comes to Terraform, all these other things I've worked with for most of my career. And so finally, you know, uh, spoiler alert, I'm, I'm at the CNCF now. Uh, sorry, sorry, you know, if you didn't read the book or watch the movie, but <laughs> but uh, I, I'm, I'm so happy here. And I, I really, uh, someone once told me that life is the problems that you choose uh, to put mm. in front of you. And so oh, yes. you know, not, not, not a negative implication at all, but I think that when it came to, I, I took a really hard look at seeing, you know, do, does it make sense for me to look at 
infrastructure through this lens for the next, you know, two, four, six, ten years? Or does it make sense to kind of get Zoom out of it, interact with more people and lead things more strategically, take a look at all the different ways in which people are accomplishing their infrastructure needs, goals, uh, working through their problems? Are there any really novel ways in which people are, are trying to solve these things? You know, seeing uh, even the scientific community uh, uh, take a look at some different use cases there, it's really incredible. Uh, I got to talk with Ricardo, who's on the program committee for Kubernetes, and, you know, talking about uh, some of the organizations that use, uh, like, like CERN and, and others that use Kubernetes. He gave me a shout out to another group that's actually using Kubernetes uh, in their space telescope. Like, that's wild. That's so cool. So we've heard about stars on GitHub, but actual stars, uh, you know, mapping those out and looking at those with Kubernetes, that's incredible. Which group is it? I mean, that's really interesting. I'm, I'm blanking on the name, but uh, still, still have James to have... Webb by any chance yeah. is Kubernetes in James Webb? Yeah, Oct <laughs> at least Octocat. one cluster. Yeah. <laughs> <Octocat. laughs> but uh, but yeah, still still looking forward to having that conversation. I think uh, some folks are on on uh, summer vacation on that front, so still waiting to to hear back on that. But it is the middle of the summer as we are recording this, so things are you know a bit quieter. Everyone is preparing for summer. This is me basically preparing like the whole summer schedule out. I was just, I was just, uh, we're just talking about that, like how amazingly busy KubeCon was and how many great conversations I've had. And like, I think this is like five out of 15, which I'm waiting to have on shipping. <laughs> uh, as the blog post promised, I'm like making slow progress, but I'm making progress nevertheless. I'm so happy, you know, to be talking to you now and one thing which I did notice at this KubeCon, and maybe, I don't know, maybe I was paying more attention, but I don't think it's just that. I've seen a lot more end users be open about their Kubernetes journey and their cloud native story. So Mercedes-Benz, uh, I was talking to Jens, I was talking to Peter, uh, Sabine, no, actually, no, it was just Jens. Um, they were all three on stage, but that was like so inspiring to see a car manufacturer like Mercedes-Benz talk publicly about how they use Kubernetes. I mean, that was just so inspiring to see. Boeing was there. A couple other names, which I don't remember, like these two were like, wow. Like I was like, I was just like thinking about the possibilities. Did you have something to do with that? Like those end users talking about their success stories coming forward, just like being more open. How did that come to be? Yeah, yeah. So I got to when when I started at the CNCF, that was like I think it was the it was like the beginning of March. And so a lot of those conversations were were already underway. Jörg Schuler is somebody that I work with really closely over at uh, Mercedes-Benz and uh, their, their technical innovation group. And so really like they are absolutely working on some incredibly cool things and getting to see incredibly cloudy. Future is very cloudy. And so mm. that's cool. And there's an InfoWorld article that has done really well in kind of talking through their 900 plus clusters and how they manage them and, and maintain them. It's been interesting to hear conversations, you know, uh, to talk with them, have those conversations and hear about their use cases of, do we go to a managed service? Do we build this on our own? You know, and so didn't have, uh, I'm having conversations with them now around those things and getting to, and, and I, like you said, I love the openness. I, I think that we're finally coming into that age of understanding, you know, the importance of vendor neutral discussions. There's this concept of Chatham House rules and some meetings, for those that aren't familiar with that term, it's about 
meaning in a place and not citing or attributing um, credit to something. So if I, you know, if I go and say like, hi, my name is Taylor and my social security number, my secret password is XYZ. You could go and say like, oh, you know, Taylor keeps his password over here, maybe in one password or or someone keeps their password over here. But you, you can talk about the things that you've spoken about, but you can't cite them directly or be like, you know, Amazon's planning to release Infinidash in Q5, you know, like so. Uh, that's that's kind of the intent there is to make it a more safe space in which to be able to share this information and to realize that as we work together, we're able to accomplish a lot more. It doesn't feel like the world's on your shoulders. You're able to kind of pair with others and to each everyone take a little bit of the of the problem with them to solve. So which is great. Uh, I, I think before when we had talked, there's that analogy of you know, uh, having a party and then just one person or a couple people cleaning the dishes afterwards. And it's like, no, 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 let's automate that. Let's <laughs> let's all get together and figure out a way or everyone washes one dish and then it's a lot easier workload. So I've been really happy to see that. It's more fun. It's way more fun. Like you're, you're part of the party in different ways. It's not just like showing up, having all the fun and bye, see you. When is the next one? I don't know. You're not you're not getting to know. I'm not telling you when the next one is, you know. Just like, you know, being a nice and not like nice, like a considerate, kind member. I don't know, like I, I'm I'm looking for for a word, like you're part of a community and uh, you have a responsibility, you have a contribution to make, and if you just want to take you know, that's not going to be a fun experience for you to begin with, uh, because, you know, we know how to how to handle people that that do that. And that's one thing which I've noticed this maturity that has been developing in the CNCF, in the cloud native ecosystem. And it's been so nice to see how there's all these checks and balances to keep people improving and doing the right thing. And sure, mistakes will be made. No one's perfect. But how do we talk about those? How do we address them? How do we improve? And is it genuinely improving year on year? And I have to say, I like what I'm seeing. And it's been a couple of years now. Now, you mentioned something really important about the openness that those big companies are just showing. And people may think, oh, well, why haven't they been doing this five years ago or six years ago? Well, guess what? They started doing this eight years ago, and they're only now at the end of the process. It takes a really long time to make a change as big as this. And I think that's what many don't appreciate. The other thing is we just need to figure out what the rules of the game are. And as you've mentioned, how do we meet? How do we collaborate? How do we communicate in a safe way? So how much of this is on your mind day in, day out? How do you create these space, safe spaces? How do you create these frameworks, like how do you even, where do you even start? Because it's a huge, huge topic. <laughs> so funny enough, the literally, I'm not joking, this is 100% true. The past four nights, I have had dreams about being at KubeCon Detroit and meeting certain people and interacting. So like, it, it, it used to be that I dreamt in code and working on things. Now it's I'm dreaming in community and KubeCons. So, uh, wow. so <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what my That's next level. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what my health professional would say about that. But uh, <laughs> invested, <laughs> you need a holiday or two. <laughs> <laughs> You're enjoying it too much. That's what it is. <laughs> it's like, I can't wait. I can't wait. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all that to say, it is absolutely on my mind uh, uh, all the time. It's honestly on my mind all the time. And 
I really like, like you said, driving that sustainability and, and having everybody kind of pitch in and, and be open and be a part. I think that we're going to see more of that too, as you know, again, it, with the economy going up and down and people looking to sustainability, you know, how do we become a little bit more actionable when it comes to cloud cost and running workloads, gaining more certainty. That's always our goal is to kind of gain that certainty. And, and, and that takes a while, right? There's a lot of things that we have to test. And if you're a company that has to do that, you know, on your own, I would say it even takes longer. Nicole Forsgren with, you know, starting up the Dora group and releasing that Accelerate book. Oh my goodness, it was so great to see how she paired together what sounded like best ideas and what people were like starting to prove out, you know, to just completely take a scientific approach and say, here's the data, you know, outsourcing. If you do that, it actually leads to a lower return because you lose context around interacting with teams. Like all of those things couldn't have been shared or shown without working with multiple groups of people. So, you know, as we work together, we were able to spend a lot more time collectively on these big problems and, and unravel them. Uh, what seems like what might be a long time to figure it out. Y yes, uh, but it's I, I would argue it's even longer when you when you don't band together. You know, if if we try to figure out what we want for lunch, you know, we might never figure it out. But and not having a support uh, group. I mean, you just do not have the energy on your own to push through. Like at some point you get so hard, say, you know what, whatever. Like I'm like after five years, I'm I'm done with this thing. It doesn't work. Yes. And that's exactly when you need someone else to tell you, but yes, it does. And let me show you this. And let me show you that. Oh, actually it's not so bad. And before you know it, you're like at the next moment where you say, ah, this is just too hard. And then someone else tells you, well, no, it's not. And let me show you this, that, and the other. Exactly. It's about developing that trust and finding these people so that you can kind of even sub out, you know, like, okay, I'm really in it. Like I'm in a good season of my life, or this is the right time to really dig in and focus on this. And then after a while, like life's what happens when you make plans, right? So as things come up, being able to shift over and have that trust and build that relationship with people to say like, okay, well, John Smith really is good at this. You know, uh, Alice and Bob, I know I can trust them, you know, so being able to hand things off appropriately just makes a lot of sense too. But I really do feel like that openness is, is really what's going to drive a lot of great things for, for all of us and, and kind of rethinking what's important to specific teams or companies. You know, bigger organizations are looking at frameworks in which to employ a lot of these things. Smaller companies are looking for like, how do we unlock our full potential? How do we solve this, this either this one problem or this handful of problems that we're trying to work through as we get market adoption and figure things out for our company, right? So the perspectives are always different and kind of seeing the innovation steps is also really cool too. I think that like, again, most of the innovation comes from these end user companies. That's where the true innovation happens. It's not typically in building out the feature. It's not in, you know, that's, that's because of all of the usage, right? And they're like, hey, this is really difficult. I need this to happen. Or like, hey, would, wouldn't it be cool if, and then, you know, insert that situation there, so. There's something new which I haven't seen until now, and I'm really liking it. The transparency reports that came after KubeCon uh, EU 2022. How did that come to be? Because that, again, I haven't seen this before, and there's like so much data, facts, numbers, graphics, infographics. It's really clear for anyone what happened, what it looked like. Tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, so uh, that's that's one thing that I've really liked about the CNCF is kind of releasing those numbers. There in the past, I think that there have been transparency reports mostly focused on attendance, where are people coming from, and then every single iteration that comes out, it's a little bit more refined, or there are more data points to focus on. So 
I especially liked this one this time around. And uh, the CNCF site has been rebranded. Um, the logo actually just got a new splash of paint that makes it a little bit more vibrant. I may or may not have have uh, updated the uh, was it the YouTube channel? So still a couple other properties to update. But it, I love how like electric it feels. It's also on Slack too, uh, if if you want to oh, take yeah. a look. But yeah, if it seems a little bit brighter, it's because it is. Mm-hmm. And uh, so thanks to the design team on that. But it needs to be yeah more happy more happy. It's, it's great. It's great. It makes, it makes me smile when I take a look at it. But yeah, uh, taking a look at the, the transparency report, I've liked being able to see like here, that, that's what this is all about, right? As uh, like you said, you know, so let's try new things. Uh, let's see what works or what doesn't. We noted that when it, kind of sharing out this transparency report, there are some folks from other communities like uh, LATAM, uh, that area in, in South America, and saying like, hey, we have folks here in Brazil. We'd really like to have an event here. And so so trying to balance that out, you know, uh, people south of the equator, typically like in India or Israel or Japan, you know, there are different groups in Australia. There are other groups that have said like, hey, we would really like for this kind of interaction with y'all because when I, and I've, I love that this is my job. I get to sit down and talk with people about, you know, like, like you really want this. Let's sit down and talk about how we can make this happen or let me understand your concerns. Let's, let's figure this out. There's a solution here. Let's find it. I actually work with someone from Latin America, from Argentina and Uruguay, two people, and um, they were saying the same thing. Like, why why is there like a bigger presence, uh, CNCF, Linux Foundation in Latin America, and, and we want to get involved with this? So I have two names for you. One specifically, Marcos Nels. I'm going to say it like you know here on the show because he's asking me about these things. Say, okay, well, let me see if if there's someone for you to talk in. And this is perfect because I think there is a huge opportunity here and we're seeing it in the numbers. We're seeing it like there is demand for it. Let's make it happen. Yes. Love that idea. Exactly, exactly. And that's truly the CNCF operates really well with like, let's see the data, let's make that decision. And so it's and it's really easy to pitch that or, or advocate for that when you have that data to be able to show too. It's like, Clearly, you know, ergo, let's go. Uh, <laughs> so so I, I, I'm, I'm really excited about that too. And in the interactions and, and conversations I've had with people is has been such that they have said, you know, in their, every country is different, um, you know, spoiler, and it makes complete sense. And some have, you know, are better able or suited to be able to provide travel and other things. But the case is, you know, even in America, that's not the case. It can be difficult getting approval to go to a different state or region, Midwest or West Coast, whatever it might be. And again, you know, with with the economy coming in pretty hard, budgets for that might start to dry up. If inflation keeps rising, everything else keeps happening. And so, you know, I would say it's really on the CNCF and us to be able to find out ways in which to connect people and provide. We're to be good stewards of the community and make cloud native be ubiquitous, right? So kind of trying to drive towards that definitely want to make things happen. So the conversations I've had with folks on on there before I sidetrack myself <laughs> again is is kind of on people don't get that opportunity to migrate and move and they do want to network and meet with people. Most of the KubeCons, I, I felt really bad. My first KubeCon, it was in San Diego and I had all of these talks picked out to go see. And I spent most of my time in the hallway track because I was just starting to contribute to Kubernetes. And I was just like, I was really giddy and happy to see all of these folks that I've only followed online or worked closely with. And I'm like, you're here. You know, it's just like, it was like summer camp. Uh, it was just like a really yeah. great opportunity. I know what you mean. 
I came back and, and they said, well, what about the talks? I'm like, they're online. It's okay. Uh, so <laughs> so uh, not to diminish the talks at all, but it was nice to have that time and that networking ability, you know, even see the people that gave the talks later on and be like, oh, I wanted to see your talk. I'm going to watch it later. I promise. How are you doing? And getting to talk with them about different aspects of uh, what you're working on was just so much fun. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Retool. Retool helps teams focus on product development and customer value, not building and maintaining internal tools. It's a low-code platform built specifically for developers. No more UI libraries, no more hacking together data sources, and no more worrying about access controls. Start shipping internal apps that move your business forward in minutes with basically zero uptime, reliability, or maintenance burden on your team. Some of the best teams out there trust Retool, Brex, Coinbase, Plaid, DoorDash, Legal Genius, Amazon, Allbirds, Peloton, and so many more. The developers at these teams trust Retool as their platform to build their internal tools, and that means you can too. It's free to try, so head to retool.com slash changelog. Again, retool.com slash changelog. And by FlatFile, the leading data onboarding platform for teams who don't want to build yet another CSV uploader. Think of the last time you had to import data from a spreadsheet. You probably got some weird errors. You had to try a bunch of things like removing blank titles from rows and column headers. You probably had to find and replace special characters. You might even have to reach for Google to remind yourself yet again how to save with UTF-8 encoding. Here's the thing. You're just trying to get your file where it needs to go so you can do the thing you're trying to do in the first place. And your customers run into this same issue when it matters most, right after signing up for your product and getting started. The thing you're building, the product, is brought to life by data, your customers' data, the data they recognize, and every minute they spend trying to fix a spreadsheet, just like you were doing, is one minute less seeing the magic of the product, the thing you're building, the thing they just bought, and they're so excited to use. Now, companies of all sizes struggle with this issue. They don't realize that there's a solution out there, and they've accepted this as par for the course, optimizing for other ways to improve the customer experience. Some go as far as creating downloadable CSV templates and building their own in-house file importer. Then they send their customers to a lengthy knowledge base article on how to use it, and it just circumvents the entire process of getting started. Enter FlatFile. FlatFile is the data onboarding platform built to take the acute pain out of importing customer data into your product. With FlatFile, your product's experience is world-class on day one. It's built to handle everything from data mapping, field validation, and is meticulously designed to blend right into your platform. It turns a frustrating process for everyone into a delightful first experience for your customers. FlatFile is SOC 2 Type 1 and Type 2 certified, GDPR compliant, and even HIPAA compliant. This ensures no matter where customers are in the world, they're sharing data securely and in compliance every step of the way. The next step is to learn more and check them out at flatfile.com. Again, flatfile.com. So I know that there's the CNCF survey. I think it's still open. How much of the CNCF survey contributes to the transparency reports and other data that you share with the community? So we're really starting to ramp up on that front, which is exciting. So there's the transparency report, which is just kind of like about KubeCon and that overall tenants, different areas there. Uh, there were co-located events too. 
and there's little transparency reports for those as well. You know, like how, what was the percentage? How diverse was this? You know, and it, where did people come from? All of those same kind of similar aspects of the main transparency report are there as well. And so those and those have some really interesting insights too. Like I think just you know anecdotally, conjecturally, uh, I was looking through some of them and looking at like Cube AI Day, uh, KubeCon, the, the artificial intelligence collocated event, that seemed to be the most diverse one. And that's kind of mirroring what I've seen and, and people I've spoken with within that space as well, which is uh, just really exciting to, for me to see and, and, and to get to experience too, because I love seeing all those different perspectives. It does feel old and it doesn't just, it doesn't feel fresh when you have that, like, everyone thinks the same, this is all fine. It just, it brings a new vibrance to it when you have a lot more perspectives and, and voices flowing. So that's been nice. A couple more reports that we're doing are kind of fo- like micro reports based on the uh, telco industry and and all of these other focuses are, are starting to come out too. And we've seen a lot of value from that. Like let's, instead of making a big report like we have out right now, we don't have to wait year to year for that. We can actually go and take a look at a specific area, say GitOps, AI, observability, what have you and uh, get you know more just quick insights off of folks from that front and then kind of help cite that for other projects and they can use that as guiding principles as part of their strategies. Uh, most of the pro- projects understand, you know, they're made up of community members and people facing these problems and people that are really dedicated, you know, so they, they get a good sense of that, but this helps add a little bit more clarity in the ability to cite those things to or to make calls to the community for like, hey, we are working on this thing. We'd really like your help, especially like we want to go in this direction. We don't have the expertise or the people or subject matter experts. We need more. We'd love your help. And so it makes that kind of easier as well. The Linux Foundation released an open source jobs report recently too, back when I was in open source summit in Austin, Texas. And I was really stoked to see that come out because uh, tons of information that was easily citable there as well around, you know, all these groups uh, like uh, developers are looking for these open source jobs, you know, so if you're able to offer that as an organization, you're going to have people knocking on your door and, and wanting to join in because that's it's just uh, it's something that people are seeing as really helpful for their career in mentorship and growth. And again, you don't always get that if you're not working on open source. If it's this closed proprietary focus, you know, you might be working on that for 5, 10, 15 more years and then just kind of not really diversifying even your own kind of career workflow studies, etc. Yeah. By the way, there will be quite a few links in the show notes. You can go and check them to all the things that we're talking about. So you can go and check them out. How was the OSS Summit North America like? What was it like for you and uh, what are what were the highlights? I've heard of it, but I haven't I haven't been paying close attention. I just actually wrote a recap on that. So funny enough, so timely. But uh, I think that it was my first time going as well. So I've, I've always kind of seen it advertised. I've always wondered about it. And so I finally, I finally got the experience and got to go. I really liked how it was broken up. It was actually in the same venue that I went to my first HashiConf in in 2017. And so it was uh, multiple levels. So you had keynotes on on one level, the expo hall was on another. It was really nice because, you know, you could actually uh, swing your elbows around and actually like walk about. It wasn't it wasn't like a more crowded feeling conference where you like you can't take a step forward without bumping into somebody. So you could have more candid conversations with maintainers and other folks that were there. It was a really good mix of people that were, you know, either uh, vendor folks or open source folks, maintainers, contributors, end users. Uh, just again, a really good spread of people to talk to and to meet up with. So I, I, I really had a great time. I think some of the takeaways for me were 
understanding, again, kind of coming out of COVID, again, getting getting into that feel again of going to conferences. There's a, a person, Melissa from GitLab, uh, that I got to meet, and uh, she shared a love, love note to open source. And it was a video of people sharing who their mentors were and what their experiences were. But seeing things like that just really made me happy to see that people were getting such value from working in that space. And that was kind of like the overall feel and, and flow of being there. Okay. Okay. Were you able to watch any talks in person when you were there? Yes. Uh, I saw one that was absolutely fantastic uh, by Julia Ferrioli. And she spoke about really just like areas that we can really improve on when it comes to open source and navigating our way through it. So she brought up really great topics around, you know, what is the shape of an open source community? How do you go and find these people? You know, if it's a security concern, how do you find that? If you want to take a look at this, you know, like if you're doing research, who do you interact with? And so kind of uh, suggesting that there's more metadata, there's a lot more information that we can add to repositories to enhance this ability, to make this discoverability, this findability a lot better place. And so I really, really appreciated, as I always do, uh, Julia's talks always kind of like, I, I told her, it, it's like it blows up my brain and reconstructs it in a completely different way. Um, she had a really good talk at GopherCon, I think it was 2018, uh, talking about accessibility in Go. And so people using screen readers to program and how, you know, adding that extra carriage returner, that space actually can make it really difficult to understand where the code is going. So again, just new perspectives. And so I really, really liked that. So that was uh, one of the talks I, I really enjoyed most of all. Nice, 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 nice. So just switch focus now again to the end users. We can go for the CNCF ecosystem, but even bigger, there's open source and open source is huge. Which end user stories you feel inspired by right now? I think the one that I feel most inspired by right now, there's two, yeah, it's- but Two is fine, oh, two is okay, fine. Yeah. Let's go for two, let's go for two. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yes, good. <laughs> so the, the two uh, that I'm really enjoying seeing are Argo with uh, Intuit and just seeing how passionate that they have been around driving that project and just like developing out the different patterns in which people can use that. So getting to see like, oh yeah, when you, uh, and, and just kind of understanding the flow of things too, like uh, the Flux project, I, I like that as well. That kind of pairs more mentally with me and the infrastructure focus, but Argo follows more of a developer workflow experience. So even, and they're both CNCF projects, right? So they're both, and we don't pick winners, we encourage that because it's good competition. It's finding out ways in which to kind of solve this problem in different perspectives, different ways. And I really like how Intuit's really leaned into Argo and adopted that internally. Um, they're working very closely with the community to help drive changes that people want to see. They came up with this app of apps pattern as far as like configuration. So like, this doesn't work for us. Can we have something else that is a little bit more easily swappable? Sure. And then coming up with that and other kinds of different aspects of that project. So I really like seeing that. And I've also liked what Spotify has been doing with uh, Backstage and kind of like, again, similar to what Julia was hitting on at Open Source Summit was this discoverability, this plugability. How do we do that? Does it make sense to have a platform? Does it make sense to, you know, put that into the repo itself? Where should all of these things live? Should they live everywhere? And so it's, I've really liked seeing what Spotify has done there and kind of helping to drive adoption on that front and being very responsive on, hey, this plugin would be really helpful or... Um, we'd want these things loaded in via core that makes it easier to adopt and just like being responsive and, and feeling those things. 
I think in, with some, you know, it's hard with an open source project to prioritize things and to be actionable on all of the things, you know, like I don't think it's changed the more I've worked for open source uh, in an open source capacity. People have come to me and said, what about PR number one, two, three, four, five, six, you know, and like, why isn't that closed yet? Why isn't this issue updated? And it's like, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're either it's it's not priority, we're working through it or there's a reason. So that's something that you definitely see a lot more within the open source and, and other capacities. If your code is public and there are open PRs or issues, people absolutely will will contact you about them. So mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. So you just gave me two new conversations, which I need to have because Backstage keeps coming up and Argo CD keeps coming up in so many various conversations. It's obviously something that people, it's on their minds. So I really like that. But I'm wondering about users, companies such as Mercedes-Benz, Boeing, any users that just use all this technology and they're like fairly big, any stories that you're inspired by in that category? I think the Mercedes one really resonates for me. And there there are so many more that, you know, I, I still need to read up on, frankly. I think that there are case studies on the CNCF uh, website. And so those are really good. Not all are from member companies, but that doesn't mean they're not using these products or technologies. And they kind of walk through those. So if you want to like a deep dive, those are really good to check out. I've really liked getting to work with Mercedes and, and speak with them around uh, around those concerns of, you know, does a managed service make sense? If we want to go multi-cloud, what does that look like? And just kind of, again, you know, how, how open and awesome they've been on that front too. So I like, I like how they're fearless in asking the questions, right? Because I feel like I dealt with that quite a bit at Disney where you would have folks that had a principal title, senior title, staff title. And they had been there for 20, 25 or more years. And so as the cloud has come in and these new responsibilities, methods, frameworks have come in, there's this humility that comes with that as saying, I don't know that, or that's a new way of thinking. I might be principal in this aspect and I, I got that this many years ago, but I, you know, there's been attrition that's happened or a misunderstanding or just like, I, ha- I haven't kept up to date with that. You know, I think that ebbs and flows throughout everyone's career, honestly, but it takes that humility and just being honest with yourself. Like, I don't know, Rust, I want to learn that personally. That's, that's a journey I'm on, getting better at technical documentation. I've got some Google courses that I'm going through on that front too. So you know, learn with me, please. I-, I feel like normalizing the fact that no one's an expert. Everything is constantly changing. We're all, if we don't keep learning, we're just going to all be noobs anyway and not have <laughs> a full understanding. So like, let's, you know, like, let's be plastic. Let's keep learning together where it makes sense and where it's interesting and, and let's share those stories. So I think that folks have kind of fallen into the, you know, like once I'm at this level, I'm done. I know everything. And there's that lack of wanting to say, I don't know, and trying to find out how to include those people or encourage them to adopt that humility. Like, you don't, it doesn't have to be an intro to cloud native. It's like, you know, like let's have a lunch and learn about cloud native. You know, it's, it's figuring out the right framing of that too. And kind of working with people that might not have discovered that too. So I, I really like that these organizations are being so open and driving that, not being afraid to ask those questions and really pushing for like, come on, like, it's like, like if we don't know where we're going, we're going to figure it out. Come on, let's get in. Let's mm-hmm. go. <laughs> Because you mentioned about learning and resources, uh, one thing which caught my attention on the Linux Foundation website, there's like a whole training section. There's a free training course. Anyone can do this. It's called LFS182X, because you mentioned the PR, like uh, long numbers. (laughs) But what you want to search for, it will be in the show notes. Securing your software supply chain with Sixtor. I know that Sixtor and supply chain is on many of your minds, you being the listener. So there's this course. I haven't 
tried it out, but I'm tempted to enroll today and check, you know, what what does it do? Because Six Store and Cosan and Fulcion and Recore, we have heard those names even on the show. We've been talking to Adolfo, Alfonso. If you ask someone, that's like a joke. Someone keeps calling Adolfo Al- Alfonso, and I think it's like <laughs> such a great name. Adolfo, I, now, I need he to do that to, now. <laughs> yeah, he needs to get like a name for, for this person. And we had uh, Matt Moore as well. The point is, it's so easy to learn because all these people, they're learning together. We are all learning together. There's always something to learn. So making a bit of time to maybe share what you know, but also learn from others. It's so important. And it is one factor which makes the cloud native community what it is. We're constantly improving, constantly learning. There's constantly, there's something happening all the time. If anything, the challenge is, what do you pick to do? There's there's too much choice. Everyone has seen the landscape. That is impressive. <laughs> like creating that, wow, that's really, really impressive. Just the logos, never mind the projects. I mean, each of them is like, you know, there's like so much to them. Okay, so do we talk about the 16-point checklist for GitHub success? Because that's another thing which, which I stumbled across and I was thinking, wow, this is interesting. That's on the CNCF blog. What do you think? July 8th, that was very recent, well, relatively recent when we were recording this. I think GitOps is also like on people's minds, so that's like another one which I thought was interesting. But maybe, maybe we go to KubeCon, North America. I mean, it's not that far away. What are you thinking? How are you preparing? And what about masks? I mean, that is like, I just like, what do we know today? DNS masks, I know that they will be there for sure. Uh, <laughs> okay, <but> okay. <laughs> that, that, that's a certainty that's yeah. locked. Um, yeah, okay. When it comes to, so yeah, so many things on my mind for that. And there was, what was it? I think, like, I'm not joking. It was one day after KubeCon uh, EU had finished up, uh, already had people requesting tickets for uh, NA for their member benefits and such. So it's, uh, KubeCon never sleeps. It's always roiling and, and ready to go. So I'm, I'm really stoked about it. And I'm really excited too that it's you know close by home, close by Cleveland, Ohio. That's that's where I'm. I, I've been for so many years. Uh, I lived in Detroit for a quick stint, and, and definitely going to talk about that as part of the keynote and the end user update. Um, might have some pictures from you know old mascots for the basketball team, the Pistons there or whatnot. But we'll, uh, you know I'll, I'll say that, I'll say that for the keynote. But. So far, it's going really well. I'm excited about the co-located events. Masks are still a question mark right now. I think that with, you know, at the time, uh, there's like the BA4 variant, BA5, the kind of like uh, just making their trips across the world. And so it'll be interesting to see what happens on that front. But like we talked about before, with that data and, and events and trying to figure things out and everything, you know, post-COVID and lockdown, it's really reminiscent of a build pipeline. And all of these status checks is kind of what it looks like behind the scenes. So like, what do the numbers look like? What is the virologist and all these other people? Like, what are all these people saying? So it's an interesting space to try to take all that data and put it all together and then make a decision on that front. You know, it goes all the way down to yes or no. And then even with some other cases too, like events are, I had learned so much about events just from working at the CNCF and going through that KubeCon. It's been one thing experiencing it as a vendor or end user and then a vendor. And then finally kind of like being inside of that process. 
So, you know, they work with folks that are vendors and bring people in. So your coffee, your water, all of those things are, you know, that have to work through intermediaries, uh, getting the events space, you know, like a lot of, uh, like we had talked about before with the Kubernetes community days in these different regions or areas, there's a lot of work that goes into selecting the venue itself. And like, can this accommodate this? Is it accessible? You know, if somebody has a leg injury or is in a wheelchair or can't see, it does, is this, does this work? Does it have elevators, escalators, et cetera? There are all of those kinds of concerns as well. So I know that when I, I've seen some folks uh, take a look at that and be like, well, you know, like, let's just do it there. You know, and unfortunately, that's not the case. I, I would love to, you know, I, I think with a lot of things in life too, like, let's have a party, but someone has to plan it. And say like, darn it. But uh, I, I think it gets easier each time. And again, like with the transparency report and everything else, it's the feedback is welcome. The PRs are welcome. The issues are welcome. It's all learning experiences. And so being able to share that and say like, hey, this is like calling out what works and what doesn't in that way that's embodying of the community that's polite, respectful is just the best way to kind of get that across, I'd have to say. So, and please, you know, feel free to at me and let's have conversations too. Like, I will absolutely listen to you. I'll take your feedback down and I'll make sure that that gets to where it needs to go too. But uh, definitely, definitely looking forward to KubeCon NA and and meeting all of you there. Uh, please, please, please find me, you know, uh, I would love to have conversations with you too. I know that before that we have uh, ArgoCon happening uh, mid-September as well. And so that's going to be in person in Mountain View. Uh, I believe that there's a digital component as well, but uh, those talks will all be on YouTube as well. But uh, like like I'd said before with Argo, uh, really excited to see what that community is talking about and, and have deeper conversation with folks there too. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, one thing which is obvious KubeCon never sleeps, <laughs> but in between KubeCon not sleeping, there's all these other conferences. There are so many amazing conferences. It's again, we really are spoiled for choice and it is really difficult to pick and choose the ones that you want to go to because you want to go to all of them and it's not possible. The virtual element helps to some extent, but still you need to make time and you know, you have to work and you have to you know, have a family maybe, or a partner, whatever the case may be. Uh, the point being it's, it's a struggle. And we are just spoiled for choice, you know? I mean, that's that's what it comes down to. If it was only KubeCon or like only one conference, it, it doesn't matter the name, it would it would be easier, but there you go. You know, a good problem, a good problem to have, a good, that that's how I see it. Okay, so we're still in the summer when we're recording this. What is happening for you next? Do you have holidays coming up? What is, yeah, what will make Taylor even happier if that is possible? <laughs> it's like more sun. So, so yes. So um, I have said, so I, I am a deep reader. Um, I love reading. Uh, please go find me on Goodreads. Share your recommendations with me. I will absolutely take you up on them. There, I, I, my goal this year is to hit 40 books. I think I'm at like 28 or 29 and uh, so far. So uh, very excited. Might have to up the goal. It's been a good year for reading. Uh, I really like some of the science fiction topics. I really like uh, books on psychology. I just read one called The Body Keeps Score, and that talks about trauma and how people deal with that. There's like really interesting things that they've been able to find, like people that go through certain types of trauma actually end up with autoimmune uh, uh, functions that, that are, end up hurting them. So it's so important for you to speak to somebody and kind of like work through those things. Otherwise, it can have really bad effects later on. So same with anything. If your kitchen sink's leaking uh, and you let it go forever, uh, you're going to end up with a problem in the basement, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, always. 
But uh, but yeah, please, please, please share on that front. Have some plans to potentially take up uh, surfing lessons and scuba, uh, scuba diving this summer too. So really making use of the West Coast. So reading, reading and beaches is, uh, is in the forefront of my mind for the summer. What I'm looking forward to is all those pictures. I know that you post a few on, is it Twitter or is it Instagram? Both, where do you post most pictures? Yeah, most, mostly Twitter. I, I still have to step up my Insta game. I really do. I really do. Yeah, I've got I've gotten feedback about that too. TikTok? <laughs> I'm not on TikTok and I don't yes. intend to be, but is it TikTok as well? I'm following the open source uh, kind of methodology there. Like I'm in the consume phase right now, but I'm oh, about to start contributing. About to start contributing. Okay, <laughs> okay, okay. Twitter is great. Twitter is great. So I'll be, I'll be following all your pictures from the summer. Uh, others can check them out when they listen. If, if they want to. I'm just wondering how bright it gets. <laughs> like how bright do those colors get? And where does it go from here? I'm really excited about KubeCon. I'm really excited about all the conference that are coming up. And I already know the follow-up conversation that I want to have with you. How to build communities, how to build healthy communities. So again, I don't know when that's coming, but I'm really excited to to dig into that because I think it's so important. It's always the people, let's be honest. Technology comes and goes. Process, sure, to some extent it's interesting, but that also changes the people. Well, they tend to stick around. And when we build good, healthy relationships, they're the ones that make us happy. And if we were to learn from someone, let's just learn from you. I mean, you must be doing something right with the people relationships <laughs> to be so happy. Uh, all the time. So thank you, Taylor, for today. It's been a great pleasure and I'm looking forward to next time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into another episode of Shipping. Check out our other podcasts for developers at changelog.com master. You can connect with like-minded developers via changelog.com community. Thank you Fastly for the worldwide low latency changelog.com. Our listeners love those blazing fast MP3s. The Firecracker VMs and the WireGuard integration are really sweet. Flat.io. That's it for this week. See you all next week. Speaking of next week, I'll be at Cloud Native Day in Bern talking about Dagger. Come and say hi.